0: Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. Let me invite you to turn with me to Psalm 133 this morning. Uh, That's where we'll find our text for today. This is the last uh, of the relationship series sermons. We've been in this series for a little while now. Um, Starting next week, we're going to turn our attention to Easter. But uh, as we finish up this series today, I wanted us to look at, we kind of began, if you remember, Way back a couple months ago, we we began this series with a bit of an overarching text, right? We looked at the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we said that that if we don't do that, if we don't get that right, then we'll never be able to love our neighbor as ourselves, which is the second commandment that's like the great commandment. And so it was kind of an overarching text to help us see where we needed to be to do what all of this series, all the scripture we looked at would call us to do. Well, today we're going to look at Psalm 133, which is on the other end, just a summary that all of the work we looked at, all the things that scriptures called us to do as husbands and as wives and as parents and as co-workers and as church members, as, as people that have been hurt and need to forgive, that all of this would lead to unity, that it would lead to harmony, And I want us to be reminded today of why that is a good thing. Why unity among God's people is a good thing. Why it's something we should be striving for. So three things we'll see in this text today. The first one is why unity is needed. Why do we need that? The second is where unity is found. So once we're convinced we need it, where do we find it? And the last thing we'll see is what unity leads to. So we to see why it's needed, where it's found what it leads to. Look with me in Psalm 133 beginning in verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now the psalm itself is short. There are only three verses and we're going to look at the other two in just a minute. Uh, But verse 1 is really the emphasis of the teaching. Verses 2 and 3 in poetic form as psalms are, are, are illustrating verse 1 for us. you are showing us how good it is. They're showing us ways that it's good. But verse 1, really, this one verse uh, epitomizes and holds all the things that we need to understand for why it is that we need unity. Why unity is something that we should not only be okay with, but something that we should embrace and something that we should strive for, something that we should seek after. So in and of itself, I just want to be clear what we're talking about when we talk about unity. We're talking about oneness. We're talking about living in union with one another. We're talking about living in harmony. So the idea of, of if we're talking about the church, we're talking about being on the same page, having the same goals, having the same ideas and things that we're working towards in mind, being on the same page about that. In a family, you could find the same thing. And that's really the idea likely that we see here in verse one is David is saying how good and pleasant it is when brothers literally when family units are together and they're together on the same page living in harmony how good of a thing that is now you have to remember David as the psalmist here David is one that had seen amongst the covenant people disunity, right? He had dealt with the attacks of Saul. He had seen other things that would have brought disunity and dysfunction. He had seen the nation divided and coming back together. And so, so he's writing this psalm, this song about when we are together and not divided. And when we are on the same page and when we are working towards the same goals how good it is and how pleasant of a thing it is now i think for those of you those of us like david that have been in families that have been in churches that have been part of groups where there was a good bit of disunity we can really feel the embrace of this verse a little bit more i think if you've ever been if you've ever been part of a family where there were grudges that were being held, and, uh, and whether you were the one holding that grudge or whether you knew that somebody was holding that over you, that it just eats away at you, and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant for anyone. If you've ever been part of a family or a church where there were some contentious people that were part of it, and, and it didn't matter who had what idea or, or what was proposed, there was somebody that was going to oppose it and they were going to belittle it, and they were going to hope that it would fail because it wasn't their idea. If you've ever been part of something like that, if your family is the type of family that that won't ever get together, and they can't really because if they do, it's worse when they're together than when they're apart because there's just so much disunity and so much broken and there's no harmony, if you've ever been part of a group like that, then I think verse 1 sounds a lot different because you recognize that is a good thing and that is a pleasant thing and that is something that we should be striving for, being on the same side and working side by side with one another and having the same goals and working to meet them and, and whenever you see one another, being glad to see one another and encouraging one another and feeling that when you see one another... It truly is a good thing, and it truly is a pleasant thing. And that's the reminder, the observation that David gives us here. And so i just give you point one. Unity is truly good. Why is it that we should be seeking unity? Because unity is good. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear. Good here really has two connotations in this text. Both of them are simple enough. But in true psalmist fashion, I want us to take a moment to just kind of think about each one of them. The, the first one is this idea of something being correct or right, that, that unity is right, that unity is correct, that unity is the thing that is not just preferable, but to have disunity or be working towards disunity is actually sinful. Okay? Okay. The, the second one is what we see really with the words good and pleasant together. And it's the idea that we've already been thinking about, that unity is enjoyable, that it's lovely, that it is pleasant. And so, again, neither one of them are hard for us to understand. But, but if you've ever dealt with contentious people, then you know that to live in harmony is... That to not have contentious people, to, to know that if you present an idea or if you have something that you say, what if we were to do this, that, that nobody's going to make fun of you, that nobody's going, going to belittle you, that nobody's going to see you as a rival where your idea is trying to be better than their idea, and hoping that you will fail, but that for us to be as a church on the same page, and I'm rooting for you and you're rooting for me because we're all working for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the kingdom, that that's good, that that is pleasant, that that is enjoyable, that that is pleasing and it's refreshing. And so that's one sense of this, right? He says, it is good, how good and pleasant it is. But not only that, but there's also the sense that we have to remember that Psalm 133.1 is not just a song that David wrote. It's not just a poem that David wrote. It's also the inspired Word of God. This is Scripture. And in this Scripture, we're being told to behold, to recognize, to think on the fact that unity, brothers dwelling in unity, is good. And so think of it in this sense. This is helpful for me. Another place that we see this same word used, this, this word for good, is in Genesis 1, right? So you think back to Genesis 1, and it's the creation story, and there's light, and God declares that it's good, right? And, and the, all of the vegetation and all of the plants are made, and God sees them, and he declares it is good, and then you see the animals and on and so on and so forth. And God sees these things. And he's not just making an observation. Oh, that I think that's a pretty good thing. No, he is declaring this is correct. This is how things should be. This is right. And that is the sense that we see here as well. That God is saying that unity is correct. That it is correct right it is something that we should be working for because god says this is right in the same sense that he tells us to tell the truth rather than to lie he tells us to live for unity and not for disunity this is pleasing and pleasant and enjoyable but it's also what's correct And God is the one that's declared this. And think about this. All the way over into Genesis 2.18, we see the first time that God declares that something is not good. You remember what it was? That man would dwell alone right or to be alone that's the first thing that he says this is not good this is good and this is good and this is good it's not good that man should be alone and then we see here in verse 1 of psalm 133 how good the same word how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together unified and so we see this idea that unity is truly good in multiple senses This is good. This is what we should desire. This is what we should work for. And so some of you may be convinced, I pray. All right, so unity is good. This is something we should be working for. This is something we should be working towards, striving for, putting effort into. But Brother Zach, I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at unity. I'm not very good at uh, being on the same page with others. I'm just kind of a contentious person. I'm I'm a prideful person, and I want things my way. Right? I'm a selfish person, and I want to do them the way I want to do them, and I don't want to have to deal with other people. I'm not really good with this whole unity thing. I'm more of a lone wolf. That's how I live life. How can I become a person that desires unity and works toward unity? Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. It says, speaking of unity, It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, just be honest with you, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I know this is, this is a psalm, this is written a long time ago, this is a different context, and part of this is lost in translation. Brother Zach, y'all going to tell folks. Brother Zach got up in church Sunday morning. He said, y'all, unity is good. It is so good. You know how good it is? It's like oil poured on your head, running down on your beard, down to your collar. And he said, Brother Zach, that's not good. That's not what I call good. You know how pleasant it is? It's like dew on Mount Hermon running down to mount zion and he said i can get on board with that called mountain dew is good <laughs> i heard amen there that's not what david's talking about some of this is lost in translation you see the oil that he's talking about here from all intents appears to be what we would call anointing oil this is the oil that was used whenever Aaron specifically became the first ever high priest of the people of Israel. When he became high priest, when God chose him to be the high priest, they took this oil and they anointed him or poured it on his head. That's what the word literally means. And they poured it on him and it ran down and it was so abundant and so excessive that it just continued to flow down and the beautiful part and the pleasing part and the good part of this is not the way that oil feels in your beard the pleasant part is that god had chosen a mediator god had chosen someone and said this man will represent me to the people and the people to me and he will bring sacrifices to me and i will forgive your sins whenever aaron serves as mediator and this this time when the oil was poured on, it said, that's whenever this was sealed. This was a done deal. God had chosen him and set him to be the man that would do this. That he would be the mediator, the first high priest of the people. And, and where did that choosing come from? Where, who was the one that said to anoint Aaron? Who was the one that said that I will allow a man to serve as a mediator? It came from God, right? And I see a reflection of this as we see that the oil, which is seen as being the sign of God choosing this man, was poured on his head and then it ran down to his beard and then down to his collars. And then we're going to see the same thing in verse 3, that the dew which comes as seen as coming from heaven, then runs down to Mount Hermon, then runs down to Mount Zion. And this idea, I believe, that in a poetic way that David is reminding us that this unity comes down from God to us. I don't know that that's exactly what David was working towards here, but I see this reflection in the text. So let me give you a couple of New Testament texts that I pray if you're not convinced that the place that unity comes from is from God, from the oil and from the dew. Let me show you some texts I think will be convincing. The first one is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience, So where, what type of unity does Paul refer to unity as here? It is the unity of the Spirit, capital S Spirit. This is unity that comes from the Holy Spirit when we become christians when we place our faith in jesus christ we receive the holy spirit and the holy spirit reminds us and shows us that we are all part of the same family that we are unified that we have one lord you look different than i do and you come from different places than i do and you drive different cars than i do and you have different occupations than i have but we have this in common that we all have the same Lord and we have the same faith and we've been baptized into the same family, right? And there's, my God is your God and my Father is your Father. And the reminder here is that is where unity comes from, right? Even though there is diversity in the church, there is unity. Now, I'm not saying that you all have to like the same music that I do. You probably don't. I'm not saying that y'all all need to quit eating mayonnaise, but you do. Right. We don't all have to agree on everything. But the unity of the spirit is the reminder and the recognizing that the first thing is first, that Christ is Lord and that we're supposed to be serving him all the time. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter to me if you are Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Methodist. If you can agree with me on that, we can work together. Because the first thing's first. Unity of the Spirit. It's where it comes from. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6 say this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are beautiful verses. But where does the harmony that allows us to with one voice glorify our God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant it to us. Where does that sort of unity come from? That we would have the same voice and be saying the same thing. It comes from God. One more text, John 17, 20 and 21. Jesus is praying and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. There's unity. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Right? Jesus prayed that all Christians would be one, united, in union, living in harmony. And how does that come about? He said, Father, just like you are in me and I am in you, we are one. May they all be in you and then they will be together as well. What we see here in John 17. so brothers and sisters if you are looking for unity this is what I want you to understand if you are a contentious person if you are a prideful person if you are a selfish person if you find yourself opposing other people and you don't even know why you're doing it if you're the type of person that's spreading gossip and it's causing disunity if you are any of these things and you recognize it and you know you need to change and you say I don't know how to change this is what I'd say Draw closer to the Lord. Walk closer to Him. Stop what you're doing and spend some time praying. Stop what you're doing and spend some time reading Scripture about unity, about how good it is, about how important it is. Draw closer to the Lord. Follow His example. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot be a unified person. You can't be the type of person that sets aside differences, and focus on what's most important without the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're having trouble doing it, then stop trying to do it on your own and ask the Lord to help you do it. All right, one last thing. So we've seen that unity is good and why we should be striving for it, and we've seen uh, that unity comes from God, so we know where to find it. I want you to see the last thing, and this this is beautiful to me. Back in Psalm 133, I want you to see this. I'll give you the last point, and then we'll look at it. Point three, unity is life-giving, and I truly believe that. Listen to verse three again. It's talking about unity. It's like the dew of Hermon, which, let me give you context, Hermon's the tallest mountain, right? Tallest mountain in the entire area, entire, um, entire nation. And so it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So, so in this, right, they live in a very arid climate. It's very desert-like. And so the dew, I've never been over there to check, but the dew is said by many scholars to be so thick that in the morning, in some places, it's almost like a rain has fallen, right? And where the dew falls... It is literally life-giving. Plants are able to grow where the dew falls in the areas that it does not fall. Plants are not able to grow. And so the dew of Hermon, which is the highest mountain, and it would even have snow caps at some times of the year, that, that the precipitation that falls from heaven on Hermon would be the greatest of any in the nation, but then it would trickle down from there to other smaller mountains. And so the the initial picture here, verse 3, I think is this, that where the dew falls, where this, this precipitation comes from heaven, there is life. And where it doesn't come, there is no life. But how does it have anything to do with unity? I believe it's a reminder that, brothers and sisters, that where unity and harmony comes from the Lord to us, the most perfect union that there ever has or ever will be is the Trinity. Right? God the Father... God the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are one. They are three and they are one. We can't even, they're so united that we cannot even understand it well. Our, our brains cannot comprehend it. And when the unity of God comes down to His people, where it falls like this do, it gives life. Because for us to live together and to enjoy one another for us to be encouraged by one another, for us to be on the same page in sharing the gospel and in doing the work of evangelism and doing the work of discipleship, it's life-giving. Where the unity of God comes down, it's life-giving. Calvin, in his commentary on Psalms, which are really, really well written, I think he did a great job. He interpreted this text, which we recognize is difficult to do sometimes, these uh, these Old Testament wisdom passages, he interpreted it with another text, which I know I love to do. And in 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven, he points to this. Paul said, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He said, how do we understand this idea that unity is life-giving? He said, you understand it this way, that where there is unity among God's people, God is there. And where God is, there is unity among God's people. So we can recognize that if we are living together, all of us, if we're living together in unity, that it's a reminder that God is with us, and where God is, there is life, brothers and sisters. The last thing that I would remind you about unity is that unity is so important that Jesus came and died to make it available, right? We, we recognize that, that he came as God, left heaven and came to earth, lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. We're about to start the Easter season as we think about this sacrifice of Christ in our place it was to bring us unity between us and God, right? To, to bring harmony where the relationship was broken. Our relationship with God was broken because we've sinned. And it was so important, so valuable that we be able to be reconciled to God, to have that relationship fixed, to have the sin that separated us from him removed, that Jesus came and died in our place. But when he died in our place, and when we accept him as Savior and Lord, it doesn't just fix our relationship with God, but allows us to have a united relationship with one another, which is what we've already talked about, right? Whenever I'm in the Lord and you're in the Lord, we're working together. We're on the same page. I talk about this in premarital counseling all the time. Gracie's heard it just a few weeks ago, that if a husband... If his main goal in life is to glorify Jesus Christ, and if a wife's main goal in life is to glorify Jesus Christ, then they're on the same page and they're working towards the same thing. Brothers and sisters, it's the same in the church. If the first thing's first, then it's first for all of us. And we're working on the same page, and we're working towards the same goal. So I ask you this this morning. Are you a love, unity, and harmony type of person? Are you the type of person that kind of enjoys to see a little bit of contention between some other folks? Kind of enjoys, and I know we joke about this sometimes, but really enjoys stirring the pot a little bit, spreading a little bit of gossip, seeing two folks not getting along well. You enjoy that? Because what we're reminded this morning is, if so, that's a sinful desire. Right, that pleasure, the pleasure in seeing other people bickering and being mad at one another, that's a sinful pleasure. And we have to kill that. We have to be rid of that. What's good and correct and what should be pleasant is to see people loving one another. And living with one another. And working towards the same goal. And being united in the Spirit. This morning, if that's you, and you're the type of person that needs to repent of that, I pray you would do that. In just a moment, we'll have a time of response. And maybe instead of singing today, you just need to pray. And ask the Lord to forgive you of that and to help you to draw closer to him and be more desirous of unity and harmony. But also, if you're here this morning and you're the type of person and you you do love union and you do love living in this pleasant, good way with other people in harmony, recognize that that's not just because you're better than everybody else, but that's because God has brought that into your life. God has made you the type of person that loves that. And thank him for it. Glorify him for bringing the unity of the Trinity down to us, the life-giving unity that we have. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to have a hymn of response. And this morning, if you need to pray where you are, do that. If you would love for me to pray with you, I would love to do that. Maybe here this morning and you've been part of churches before that were very contentious. I'm not going to tell you that there's never any contention at Mount Zion because I don't like to lie. I'm not going to tell you that we're perfect. But I can tell you this, brothers and sisters, we work hard to make the first thing first. And if you've never been a part of a church like that and you're interested in Mount Zion, come and see me. I would love to talk to you about the process of becoming a member at Mount Zion. But whatever it is that the Lord's calling you to do, you respond to him as Brother Shane leads us in the hymn of invitation.